Private Lender Podcast, Episode 83. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Bruce Lee, who said, The successful warrior is the average man with laser-like focus. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Greetings from the energy capital of the world, and welcome to episode number 83 of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'd like to thank you for stopping by today. And the other thing I'd like to thank you for is lending me your ear. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on mitigating and eliminating risk with your private mortgage lending, then you are in the right place. But if you want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them, then pull up a chair, my friend because I created this podcast for those select individuals who are looking to take control of their financial future by doing what it takes to create wealth in the marathon of life with old world techniques and values. I'm looking to create a tribe of lenders that will disrupt the way we think about money and how we can grow wealth. But I also want to change the way we teach our kids about money because I think it's, um, I don't know, antiquated to say the least. But before I get into today's episode, I wanted to invite you out to the Quest Trust Company self-directed IRA Expo, which is going to happen in just a few days, August 23rd through the 25th, 2019, at the Royal Sinesta Hotel in Houston. And as of this recording, I believe there are tickets still available. I know the VIPs have sold out, but the general admission, which are still a good deal, are available. My understanding, I haven't received the email saying they're not. So go to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash expo for the link there for tickets and use the promo code PL podcast for your 25% discount. And I apologize about that pause, but I, I literally just got a, an email stating that I hadn't paid a credit card bill. And so I um, suffer from squirrel shiny object syndrome. So I had to go get that paid anyhow. So what is today's, <laughs> it's been a long week, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I'll just say that anyhow. So today's episode, I have a gentleman reached out to me and uh, said, hey, you know, let's, uh, I'd like to be on your show. And I said, okay, what do you do? I do apartments. Oh, perfect. Because I've been wanting to, my idea for the Private Lender Podcast was the first year would be all single family and the second year we'd we'd move into some multifamily. However, this is a fluid dynamic podcast and (laughs) as all things in this life, I guess. But I have wanted some multifamily experts to come on. And so today's guest, Corey Peterson, he's out in, um, I believe, Arizona. And I, I apologize because I recorded this interview a while ago. Well, let's just say uh, school's about to start. So <laughs> I'm a little pressed for time. Anyway, so yeah, he reached out, got in contact with him and felt like, okay, this guy's, uh, I like him. I like him enough. I'll, I'll put him on the show because I really want someone to you know, start scratching the surface on multifamily. So I'm not saying I'll do it every month, but I would definitely like a, a, at least a couple times a year in the next 12 months to touch on multifamily and how private lenders can fit into you know, syndications and, and other things. But I like Corey. You know, He's letting people know what he does and they can reach out to him, which is the right way to do it. 
and then he can explain and build that rapport, build that relationship. So, you know, he can invest under the auspices of the SEC. I want to put it out there for the Lender Nation because I know some of you have uh, inquired about multifamily and other things besides just single family. So this is my first foray into multifamily. So let's go ahead and get down to the brass tacks and to the interview with Corey Peterson. Lender Nation, I am honored to have Corey Peterson on the show today. Corey's the owner of Kahuna Investments, and he strives to provide his investors with stable cash flow returns and long-term capital appreciation by buying multifamily apartments. Corey's managed to acquire over $95 million in real estate across the country, and he's the first multifamily investor on the Private Lender Podcast. So, Corey, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. So, let's hear the hero story. Let's hear the, uh, the origin story, man. How did, uh, how did you fall into real estate? Man, and that's the truth is you fall into real estate. You know, like, listen, I, um, I grew up a small town country farm boy. And let's just say that I didn't get the download from the mothership until I was like 32. You know, I barely met out of high school. Um, I didn't have a degree. When you don't have a degree, you got to manage some crap or you got to sell some crap. You know, I sold used cars until I met my wife or my girlfriend and she became a wife for 17 years, by the way. But she told me that she couldn't marry a car salesman. <laughs> so then I became a restaurant manager. And then she really didn't see me because I thought I worked a lot of hours in the car business. Right. But almost 18 years ago, something radically happened that changed my life. I went to Hawaii. My mom was married to this guy. His name's Bruce. I call him Bruce Wayne. <laughs> he wasn't Batman, but he was loaded. And <laughs> And so, uh, lo and behold, he had a house right on the beach in Hawaii. And, um, you know, my girlfriend, now my wife, 17 years, we got to go there for, you know, a vacation. And it was magical, dude. I remember waking up early in the morning, going across the berm, your toes are in the water, you know, the waves are crashing. It's on a cove. We walk the cove. And all of a sudden, the sun decides to start rising. And as it was rising, the mist from the waves was creating a magical light show, dude. And I'm going to say, my wife and I, Shelly, we, we stood hand in hand, transfixed for about 15 or 20 minutes and just and watched it all happen. And it was like a rebirth had happened. And I remember looking over on the other side of the cove to Bruce's house, and I'm like, what does this guy do? Because he's got time, he's got money, he's got fine art, nice cars, like he has it going on. And his phone was not ringing. And so I finally got the guts to ask him, and guess what he said? He owns apartments and he's in real estate. And so now I wish the story got better because Bruce was a prick. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. He was a grumpy old man. You know, listen, that was my mom's hustle. I love you, mom. But uh, yeah, he he wasn't going to help teach me real estate. But he did give me what I call the perfect vision of what, what I call now is the cash flow life should look like. Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. And he gave me, you know, what, what it should look like. You know, so then about six months later, I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And when I read it, all I could, I was like, that's Bruce. And so it, it made it very real for me. And I started my company in 2005 and I named it Kahuna Investments. Because I looked at Bruce and Bruce was the big kahuna and I wanted to be the same thing. And so, uh, you know, and then I went on a journey like everybody else does. So I started off as a wholesaler, 
Why? Because I had no money, no credit, no idea what to do. Right. And I went to the local RIAs. And, you know, now I'm a smart cat. Like, yeah, I didn't make it out of high school, but I mean, I'm resourceful as hell. And I, I got a lot of common sense. And so I would ask the guy that runs the RIA, hey, who's the guys that are doing deals? And they're like, oh, Bob, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy. So guess who I sat next to? All the guys that were doing the deals, you know? And I'd be like, hey, what's your deal look like? Where do you find them? How much, do you know, what's your average profit? And I'm just like taking orders. And I'm like, well, I, I find deals like that, you know? Whether I did or not, it didn't matter. <laughs> and so I started wholesaling to these guys. And then something really that I really got good at, and it happened by accident, I learned how to raise private money. And when I learned how to raise private money, these are for single family deals. Because see, I was making like a $3,000 or $4,000 wholesaling fee. This is back when you found deals on the MLS, you know, in REOs and short sales. Mm -hmm. And I was making like, you know, three or $4,000. My guys that I was running the rehabs for that were out-of-state investors were making twenty-five or thirty. So I was like, man, I got to flip the script. And so I was asking a retired guy that I played racquetball with for his help because he lived in a retirement community. And I didn't think he had any extra money. And so I was just asking him as a friend. I'm like, I'm like, hey, Carl, you're watching what I'm doing wholesaling. I'm making 3000 The guys are making twenty five. Surely I could just pay an interest, you know, give someone a note and deed of trust. And, you know, let me know if you know anybody in that neighborhood or your community. And so the next day, Carl calls me and he's like, hey, Corey, you don't know this, but my home's totally paid for. I can borrow money at 3% and give me 12. I can make spread. <laughs> How much money do you need? <laughs> well, okay, this is when I had to breathe deep for a couple minutes. And I was like, Carl, I need $85,000. And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Where do you want me to send it? Just like that, dude. My chin hit the floor, dude. And I was like, oh, my God. And I equate it to this. Like, I went into a telephone booth as Clark Kent, and I came out of that thing as Superman, dude. I was like, I raised private money! <laughs> that is your superhero story. Yeah. It is, man. And so once I figured out private money, and see, like a lot of people out there, you probably have a lot of limiting beliefs. I know I did about myself. Was I good enough for private money? Would people give it to me? What if they knew that I had filed bankruptcy? What if they knew, you know, all the things, all the baggage that I had? And what I found is it doesn't really matter, right? And so when I raised that first piece, it broke every limiting belief that I had had. And so then it was like my eyes were wide open. And I realized that there's a process to raising money. And so I mastered the process. I found really good mentors. And I ended up raising 3 or $4 million pretty within a year to do single family fix and flips. Now, in 2011, I was running probably about four or $5 million of capital doing single family fix and flips, and the market started to change. It was getting harder to find deals. Now, I am the person of least resistance, and all I knew how to do at this point in time was find deals on the MLS, short sales, and REOs. And now I have $4 million behind me saying, Corey, Put me to work. Put me to work. And um, I ended up, I stumbled on apartments. I was like, man, I, I got to figure out a way to put place to put this money. It's actually a longer pain story, honestly, because I was really screwing up. And the epitome of doing all these fix and flips, I actually was becoming a bad dad. Okay, truly. What really happened is, you know, my son looks at me one, one day and he said, dad, are you going to be at my game tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, no problem, son. You, you count on me. But 
inside, I was like, I got to look at three properties. I, I hadn't followed those up, you know? And so I was like, I woke up early in the morning. And I'm, I'm going to get to these properties and I'll be back in time for the game. Long story short, man, I got at the end of the game. And dude, my son came off the soccer field and cried and just, dad, you promise. And just, <laughs> you know, and dude, I'm telling you, it broke me. And the pursuit of money and all that, because out to the world, I would look super successful, bro. Mm-hmm. But I was dying inside because I didn't have a hold on my business. I wasn't living Bruce's cash flow life. <laughs> yeah. I was a damn train wreck. And that broken state, dude, like I drive, you know, kids are resilient. And even though, you know, I'm hurting them, you know, he still wants to get in my truck and, and drive home. And that was even worse because as I'm driving, he's just, <laughs> you know, just the whole time and it's killing me. And I drop him off and my wife gives me this look like, you better fix this, dude. And I get in my car, I just go driving and I'm just, I'm beating myself. I'm like, you're an idiot, Corey. Why would you, why would you think about putting everything first besides your family? And, you know, and I'm crying out to God to forgiveness. And in that solitude where I finally forgive myself and ask God for forgiveness, I'm driving in a very empty state of mind. And I drive by a complex, an apartment complex, and I've driven by it a million times. And I used to say, I wish I could own an apartment complex. But that day, in that moment, I said, how can I own an apartment complex? And Keith, that changed everything, dude. And my life totally went on a different fork. And, um, you know, it took uh, about a year and a half to figure out how to buy apartments and how to underwrite them and all that stuff. So I bought my first apartment complex in 2011, sold it two years ago. I bought it for $3.2 million. I sold it two years ago for 8.8 million bucks. Nice. That's a pretty good payday. That's a good big cash flow on the way. Now we own, uh, you know, $95 million worth of capital. Uh, we closed $25 million last year, raised $12 million. And so I am now living that life that Bruce talked about. I have tranquility in my business, right? So that's kind of my rags to riches story. It, it, it was a, it's a journey. It still is. But what I would say, the one thing that I've learned how to do more than my other, you know, guys that started at the same time that were doing single family flip uh, stuff, fix and flip or wholesale or any of that is the ability to raise capital, right? That one thing, me being able to talk with people and get people's money and then direct it to where I tell them they need to give it to or spend it or give it to me so I can go spend it. That one thing is why I'm a multi, multi-millionaire and some of my friends are still just trying to and stuck in that hustle and grind mode. So learning how to raise capital is the key, if you ask me. And there's, there's two things I want to touch on quickly. One is, you know, raising capital. That's why the, you know, the whole reason I have this show is to help people. Look, you can become a private lender. You can do this. You know, it's legal. It's allowed by the IRS. It's, you know, all these things. But in, you went in the very, most of us, you know, we start with single family. And we move in and I, I took uh, into the, the, the multifamily and like right now I'm trying to switch my gear slowly, but surely out of that single family. So I'm not doing as many deals going into, you know, apartments, but also being mindful that, you know, places like Dallas, Fort Worth are just on fire. And at some point they're not going to be, but, you know, putting my toes in the water and slowly finding everything out about multifamily. But I had a mentor at a, at a mastermind, actually uh, episode one, Stephen Kaufman, who owns the Zeus Mortgage Bank. I took his mastermind and he, he was, he did this great example of a hundred thousand or $200,000 home. Okay. You're going to buy it for, 
this. You're going to put this much into it. And then at the end of it, you're either going to rent for this or you're going to sell it. And then he just drew a line down the side, the right side of that number. And he goes, just add another zero. That's it. That's all you have to do for commercial. Now, you know, there's environmental, there's a few tweaks yeah. of, of due diligence that are, that are obviously different. But by and large, it's don't let them, you're talking about that mindset and limiting beliefs. Like don't let the extra zero run you away. Amen to that, brother. Because once, I mean, my net worth grew substantially when I was not afraid to add another zero, right? Because it's the same amount of work. Actually, it's a lot less work. So last year we did three projects, three deals. That's it. Three deals. Yeah. Not 120, not 50, not just three. Yeah. Three, $25 million worth of deals though, right? And so I think when you look at that scaling of that process, and the truth is, there is so much money out there and it's looking for people like me for deal makers but that you're teaching this is great because it really is um we compete so i always say like so let's talk about money for a minute is that cool yeah yeah no so when i look at it, i say okay what's my avatar like when i'm raising capital for my projects i say what's my avatar right mm-hmm. and who am i looking to get money from and who am i not I typically am not looking for what I call the smart money, okay? Wall Street, hedge funds, all that stuff. Why? Because they want a ridiculous amount of uh, return for their money. What I focus on is Main Street, my Main Street investor, right? Not Wall Street, but Main Street. These are the guys that have money, you know, million dollars or, you know, accredited and non-accredited, right? Mm-hmm. Some of we do both, but these are the typical people that are in the stock market and they have mutual funds and bonds or a 401k or something like that. That's when I compete against the stock market, I can win 90% of the time. I really can't because what we offer in our product gives a better return than most alternatives without the craziness, the roller coaster uh, ride that most people are currently on. And so that's the avatar. And that's what I focus on is that how do I how do I talk to more mom and pops, normal people that just they're looking for alternatives to the stock market. And dude, there is a crazy amount of people that are out there. And a lot of them don't even know they can do real estate in their retirement accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's our biggest thing is, is educating people, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, because most people don't have lots of money in cash. It's in their IRAs. And so once you can educate them on that process, because then they're like, okay, well, so then I can use my retirement money to fund an apartment deal, a syndication. Well, how does that work? Because once you say the word syndication, that's like, oh, wait, hold on. What's going on, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's not as difficult as most people think. So what is a syndication? Well, it's just a way for, um, when Corey does a deal, he hires a syndication lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. And he puts together this 100-page document that costs about ten dollars to $15,000 for a lawyer to do. And in that document, it gives all the risk of my deal, the waterfall, who gets paid first, who gets paid second. And it really becomes my operating Bible on how I'm supposed to work. Now, because it's federally uh, mandated, there's actually, you know, if I don't follow the rules, I can go to the pokey. Well, I don't look good in stripes. Do you think I'm going to follow the rules? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
but so it gives me how I'm supposed to pay, what I'm supposed to pay. So in my mind, that's a really good thing to share with your investors and say, guys, so then it really is just a matter of what kind of return do we do? Now with most single family notes, right? So like, let's say you're going to do a house and someone says, hey, I need $150,000 and I need you and you give someone a note in deed of trust. Typically, that's usually how it works. That's, and that's pretty clean and clear and, and I understand that. In the multifamily world, we give someone a ownership piece, right? And a piece of equity in our property. And then we typically give a pref and then something on the back end, a split of profit upon sell or refi. Okay. And so we typically pay a 6% pref. That's short for our, preferred rate return. Yep. And that's usually first dips out of any profits on the deal. And we typically do that through our cash flow, right? So, you know, we have a hundred and something doors, everybody pays rent, we pay all our bills and what's left over, we have enough profit to pay our investors a, uh, we pay quarterly, quarterly payment and with a pref. And usually our pref is usually 6%, right? Now, why does that work? So it's not 12, right? So 10 or, you know, so everybody's lending a different money. So it doesn't, I mean, I know that right now with, with single families, I want to say the rate's closer to eight for a lot of private money guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's 10 or two or whatever, but I know there's a lot of money chasing that asset class. And so it tends to be a little bit less, not like it used to be, right? So it's getting constricted. Same thing with a little bit of the multifamily space too, but not as much. So we pay that 6% pref. If you look at it this way, most people are in the stock market. And I would say in that space, what do you think the average return most people are making in their IRA accounts? Probably about five to six percent. Yeah, six to eight, six right? To eight, probably yeah. five to I think you're probably more correct, but most people will tell you six to eight, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's the return that they're experiencing with the emotions of the, the market. Yeah. Right. And trust me, when I tell you that I don't know if I told you this, but my background before I got into real estate, after I sold or was in the restaurant business. I actually got a real job and become a financial advisor. It's the only test that I really studied for. <laughs> yeah. And I passed with a 73. <laughs> you only need a 70 to get your license. Yeah. So I know this firsthand that most people do the opposite of what, you're, what you tell them to, is they sell when it's low and they buy when it's high. Because emotion plays a lot of what's going on, yep. even though it's not supposed to. But that's just the reality of what people do. And then if you look at the uh, Wall Street as a payment vehicle, so I would say Wall Street can help you grow money and people do it all the time in their IRA accounts. They get where they have a million dollars or you know half a million or whatever it is account in their funds. Now they're getting closer to retirement and they need to turn that money into a paycheck, right? I'll just ask you this. So if you want to, because at that point, when you're close to retirement, you don't want to have volatility in the market anymore. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely right? not. Yeah. You just want to live on your, live off your interest. Yep. So what products are out there? So what is it? What does a CD pay? Nothing. Uh, nothing. 1% maybe I, if that. Um, so after CDs comes really treasuries or before that, that pays even less. So then yes. you have treasuries, CDs, then you have bonds. Okay. Bonds, you have like corporate bonds. Those are like Coca-Cola or big companies, um, how they finance their debt. Or even cities, municipal bonds, which are usually you know tax free, right? So, what's an average bond? Do you think pays? Uh, around the four or five percent. 
Exactly. Uh, closer to three to four. Three, three to four, four, yeah. Right? Okay, yeah. And, and sometimes five. If they're really high, they're called what kind of bonds? Junk. Junk bonds. Okay. Again, now that comes with volatility. Yeah. So when you look at that, if the average is three, most financial advisors will tell you, hey, if you need to plan on living off of 3% of your money, well, three, if you had a million bucks, 3% $30,000 a year. Yeah. Well, that ain't a whole hell of a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. And people's worst fear, by the way, is running out of what? Money. Money, right? I mean, it keeps them up at night, especially when they have to have that money to live. So if we can pay a 6% prep, and most people are getting three, we took $30,000 and made it into $60,000, doubling their income, right? So that's the story that I'm just teaching you how I sell this process, right? Yeah. When I'm talking to capital, because I really tell this story just like I'm telling it now with you, is because they start shaking their head because they know this to be true. They understand what this is. Because this is the stuff all financial advisors say, and they get it. They're shaking their head. They're nodding. So I know I'm getting buy-in. So then I say, but guys, but wait, with us, there's more. And I go, because we're eventually, you know, we're basing that 6% pref on cash flow. People pay rents all the time. You know, one of the things we love to say is the same thing with my hat, right? Mm-hmm. If you're watching on, on, on the video, rents do. Our tenants expect rents to go up each and every year. And we never disappoint them. Never disappoint. Them. <laughs> never disappoint. That's well. That's good. <laughs> we will always make a rent increase, even if it's ten bucks. Yeah. Right. And so, as we raise rents, we increase the profitability of the property. We increase the value of the property. So eventually, usually, our average hold deal is five years. And why? Why five years? Six years to fix all the broken stuff. A year to fix all the broken tenants. Right? We want to upgrade our, we want better credit scoring tenants that make more money. And then we have, want three years to maximize operations. In other words, we're going to raise the rents as high as possible, keep our expenses as low. Now that makes a very profitable deal. So when we sell it, we give our investors another 6% annualized for the amount of time they've had it. So, and they get now another, uh, so if they give us, somebody gave us $100,000. They're going to get $6,000 each and every year and with quarterly payments. So it's $1,500 every quarter, right? Yeah. And listen, people can budget. People that are retirement, they can budget if they know that money's coming. And so to be consistent is key. And then at the end, they get a big dump truck of money, which would be like another $30,000 if you had $100,000 invested in one of our deals. Well, that money at the end is like, a garnish. It's like they weren't expecting that because they're budgeting the money that they have on the first 6%. Right. And they, anything else in their mind, and this is how I, when I'm talking about it, like that's extra, like, that's like the carrot. And then in that five years, if you were to take that money, and let's say you used all the rest of the money and you spent it, that was your income. But now you still have your $100,000 plus this other $30,000 and you reinvest it in another deal. Now you have a cola. Now for <laughs> no I like that. Yeah, go ahead and explain. I like that. A cola is called your cost of living adjustment. Okay? The older people understand cola because that's annuities and, and things like that. They understand cola. 
that means they're going to they're going to get an increase in their paycheck. And because things go up, you know, milk, eggs, all that stuff goes up each and every year. And so when we show them this, they're like, oh, so now you have a rising income, right? That can keep up with inflation. Or, I mean, hell, they can just go out and go on a big ass uh, vacation, you know, or whatever they want to do. Like I say, like, that's, that's whatever you want to do money. And so people understand that. And so 12% year over year over year over year. That's a phenomenal return. Yeah. It's a phenomenal return. And the one thing I love about the syndication model is that we keep people's money engaged 365, five years in a row. Because a lot of people that are doing private lending, sometimes if they don't have good guys that are procuring new deals, their money could sit dormant for a while. So they, you know, they, they fund a deal for six months and then it sits there for another three or four months not working. Yep. And so... They may say that, oh, we're getting 15% return. But if you look at their real return of, you know, the whole year, it's probably a lot less. Oftentimes it is. And that's yeah. one of the bigger complaints is I tell people when they, I want to fund flips. I'm like, great. But your timing's got to be good because yeah. you're more apt to, yes, you're going to get a higher interest rate, but you're going to be more apt to have some idle money. And if you wanted to say, be the private lender on a house that's being sold with owner financing. You're right. It's, you're going to be in that, that 8% range, but you're going to tie it up for three years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So, you know, there's yinks to yanks to the whole game. And so that's kind of like, that's how I sell it in, on my, on the apartment world, right? So that's how I compete with, you know, because I've got actually, I've got a, like two private money lenders that they were out of Utah. And that's what was their main piece of business. And they're older, older, this one older lady. She's really great. But the truth is she was getting tired of having to do all the transactions, mm -hmm. right? And to keep up with it. I mean, she was like in her, she's in her late seventies. She just wants to be done. And so she's like, she gave us the first time, you know, first investment, just, a, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to see to kind of test the waters. Yep. And once she started getting her checks, dude, Corey, got to get another couple hundred thousand. Can you work it? Corey, I got another couple hundred thousand. Can you work it? Right, because she was just like, "This is easy. Set it and forget it." Yeah. And um, as long as she was making her checks, that's all she wanted. So, I feel like that's what we've learned how to do is tap into Main Street money, the people that that most people forget about, right? Yeah. But like, they've got money too, real money, and they what they want is just something that that's consistent, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, it's funny. I I, I kind of got the idea of. I say I got the idea, but I, I read, um, well, like you, like everyone, you know, you start with rich dad, poor dad, but I read the richest man in Babylon and I really oh, I love that. that. 10th of everything I make is mine to keep. Yeah, exactly. 10%. And then you, you make your money, take that 10%, grow it. And then you give it to somebody who knows what they're doing in that line of work to grow your money for you. Right. That's a great book, by the way, man, there's a lot of lessons. That's one of my favorite books of all time. Mine too. Because it really talks about the guy that was, that was going through the journey is like, he's like, listen, why would I ever give you my money until you can show me that you know how to, to make it grow? Like, I'm giving you tasks to teach you. And once he became the master, once he understood the lessons and that, you know, he learned how to master how to make money grow, that's when it was like, here's the whole thing, right? And really, part of the reason why you probably have a podcast, once you learn some stuff, if you don't give it back out into the world, I mean, that's, to me, that's the best part of what I do is the give back. Yeah. 
it's so true because like I said before the call, you know, no, nobody's teaching private money just to create private lenders, right? It's somebody like yourself. It's an investor who has, has a need and has an ability, right? And they come together. And then I started getting questions at the RIA about, well, you know, why do you do private lending? I said, well, because I, I actually have a full-time job that I like, but I travel at the last second. And so I've tried to handle landlording. Okay, it didn't work. So, okay, I'll get a property manager. And then I had to learn, well, you got to manage the manager, yeah. um, you know? And so for me, private lending is, it just, it was a better fit for what I do. It usually is the safest and mo- it, it really, because you're usually leveraged the right, the correct way. You're, you are playing the bank. Exactly. And banks, if you look at any building in any city, the biggest buildings that have the name on top is usually a bank, mm-hmm. right? Why? Yeah. Because banks are not stupid, man. They're, exactly. They know how to make money and they do it with the less risk. And we can play the same game as them with the same rules as them. I don't ask this question enough of my guests, but it's a joke, but it, I think it really brings it home. Who do you think or who do you consider is the bigger criminal, the man who robs the bank or the man who owns it? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. you know, one is illegal. You're going to go to prison and the other yeah. one can do it all he wants. He can print money. Yeah. Right. If you own a bank, you have a license to print money. For every dollar you take in, there's a multiplier that you can go lend out. Exactly. How does that work? In the Thank you. School? It doesn't work with my checkbook. You know, no. I don't have $9 for every dollar. I have a dollar. <laughs> right. But at the same time, by creating notes and being, you know, private lending, and you, you can follow along the, the richest man in Babylon. You can follow along with the Kiyosaki thing and be active in the most passive form of real estate investing yeah. or private lending. You know, here's the other, uh, my little other little caveat that I feel like in the uh, syndication apartment world that is a little bit different. So we don't have lenders, we have owners, or we give them K1s, but because they're owners, they get something magical that they're not getting in most of other endeavors, which is depreciation. Yeah. And now that used to not be that big of a deal, but now with the new uh, laws that are on the books now, if you do a, what's called a cost segregation study, which is what we do on every property, okay? Typically, like, so I'll give you an example. We just did a $10 million deal and we had a $3 million cost seg study done that was in year one. That's the loss that we get to record. And half of that goes to my investor pool. And so the average number I think was for every $100,000 invested in our deal, our investors got $42,000 worth of depreciation that they can use to offset, if they're not real estate professionals, they can offset all their other passive money. So if they're lending money and they're getting, so that's passive money, right? They can offset all their profits. That's huge, man. Like your biggest partner in life is Uncle Sam. (laughs) Whether you like it or not, yeah. Yeah, so if you can get them off your back, you know, and and, so there is some recapture when you sell, but it's, said more importantly that a, a dollar saved today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. And when you play the game right, I mean, that's just, that's how the wealthy play the game, by the way. Like there's a reason Donald Trump's not showing his tax returns because he doesn't pay any. No. no exactly. Because he has buildings and assets that the government, even though it doesn't matter that he's done it legally. Now, some people will say, well, you know, there's probably, well, I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but I'm just saying. Fair enough. We got time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But the tax game is real. And so, you know, in a political world, you can't justify that. But as normal people like us, we are always, I don't know a person out there that doesn't want to try to get 
rid of any tax that they can legally. Yeah. And okay. so the rules are made. I mean, our elected politicians are elected by people that have money. And so the game's always slanted for people that have money. So if you play the game like rich people play, which is being a lender, right? Mm -hmm. Playing Monopoly at the bigger level, it only gets good, right? Because all the rules are set for people that have wealth. And I'd like to add just a little bit on, you're absolutely right. And then, but add one thing to that and the people with the wealth and the people that are willing to learn and risk and do something with it. Damn right. Because I, I started broke as all get out, guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's I, the same rules. You're broke or Donald Trump. Same rules apply. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And so when you choose to learn how to, and that's probably why you're listening to this podcast, is you're choosing to educate yourself. And see, I've always said there's two hands. So one should always be reached up. You should be looking at someone above you and saying, how can I learn? And then your other hand should be down here like this, pulling someone up that's a little farther down below than when you are and raising them up. Yeah. And so it's, it's a both ways. One, you're getting pulled. The other one, you're, you're doing the pooling. And that's how you, that should be the journey your entire life, if you ask me. Agreed. Absolutely. Man, now we could go down that path a long time. <laughs> but um, I do want to touch on a couple of things. One, let's, um, in, in a relatively short amount of time, uh, you've analyzed the single family residence deal. From a lending perspective, how is your job as an apartment investor? How is it different when you, when you go in to put together the deal? You mentioned that you add value. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're looking for apartments that are distressed and somehow either the property's distressed or hopefully it's just really bad management has let it go and that yeah. it's, it's good bones. So kind of give us someone who's in the single family world, give them a few first steps into how you look at a deal and put that together. Yeah. So we typically now, we, we don't buy rundown checks, right? We usually look for what we call stabilized assets and stabilized is 85% or better occupancy, okay? Oh. And then we look for two things, deferred maintenance and bad management. And there's, they always come together in pairs, right? Yeah. And so how do we fix deferred maintenance? These are things that are not fixed, right? Or left blight. We fix it with capital, with new fresh money, right? Fix the broken stuff. And then how do you fix bad management? You have a good, you spend more time trying to find the right management company because I don't manage these properties. I use a third party, but I spent a tremendous amount of time interviewing to find the right management company that understands my values and has the right systems and procedures because you're buying from a management company systems and procedures and the ability to transfer those in a region or a geographical area, mm -hmm. right? That can do it consistently. Once you get that set up, then it's really just a matter of the deals we look at is, you know, we already have renters, a, a tenant base. And then we look at the financing and say, how much um, is it going to cost to get us the loan? How much private money do we need? So we usually get a combination of debt, right? From uh, usually 70%, 75% LTV. And then we, the money that we got to put down and our capital that we need to fix it is what we raise from investors. And so we put those two together and then we say, there's a very conservative pace that we are going to a, raise the rents once we fix all the broken stuff. You know, we should be able to get, you know, $50 more if we do this, this, and this. And then we just put it in a formula. And the great thing about um, commercial that I love about it is it's just all about numbers. 
And uh, there's lots of, uh, even we have our own underwriting template that we've created called the Kahuna Cashflow Calculator. It's just an underwriting tool to help disseminate if it's a deal or if it's not a deal, right? And really that's, and it's not even emotional. It takes all the emotion out. It's just about the numbers. So you don't fall in love with a deal. You just fall in love with the numbers. And the numbers look good. You're like, oh, wow, that's, that's a deal. I should make an offer. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. So you raise your down payment is, is the money that you raise privately. Then you go get some debt from a bank or something else at the 70% LTV. Yep. So we're 100% leveraged. If that's really what we're doing is getting 100%, actually sometimes 100% plus, right? Because we're financing our CapEx too. But if you look at the way rents work and how all that stuff works, usually you're going to be very profitable within the first, usually take about two years. Right. Yeah. And then once you get to that level, then you're it's exponentially what you can do and raise the value of the property. Because once you're able to command higher rents, you know, fifty dollars more in rents is a lot. Because we're doing it at a cap rate, I'll give you an example. If we were at rate say we had a hundred doors, right? Hundred doors times fifty bucks is five thousand times twelve months, right? That's sixty thousand dollars more in income. And if we were divided by a six cap, that's a million dollars in value. Okay. Right. So that's what raising the rents 50 bucks does. And a property could create a million dollars or more, depends on the cap rate, um, in value. Let's touch on that real quick capitalization rate, the cap rate, because we don't, we don't deal with that much in the single family world. It's a, a multifamily and, and commercial. So talk us on how you took that 60 grand and, and came up with a, a 6% cap rate to get the million. Yeah, so the 6% is just this thing of cap rate is kind of like what the market's willing to, to bear, right? Because the cap rates go up and down, but it's a big swing when you change it from 5% to 7%. Currently, in most markets, uh, like we're buying a 70s and 80s properties at a 7 to 7.5 seven cap rate. That's like what the market is willing uh, to pay. It's like 7.5% for money, okay? Now, on newer products, you can usually get a lower cap rate. So like on the new builds, they're getting 5% from there, maybe 4% cap rates. And it's just a function of what the market's willing to bend. And all I do is that like, so I took that $60,000 of revenue that we created that I just used an example of, and I divided it by 6%, 6% cap rate, right? And that's where I get that million bucks. Now watch this. If I was to say same 60,000, and we divide it by a five cap, it's 1.2 million. So if you can buy at a high cap rate, doesn't sound right, and then you sell at a low cap rate, you can make lots of money. We do that almost all the time. Now, how do we do it? Well, we look for um, people that need to, uh, so in the multifamily world, let's say you sold a property and you made a $5 million profit. Now, guess what? You're going to have to pay taxes unless you do a 1031 exchange. Mm -hmm. Very common in our business, in the bigger projects, they don't do it so much in the single family, but in the multifamily game, it is, you make 5 million bucks, you're trying to figure out how to not pay taxes on any of that. So you're going to try to do a 1031 exchange. Well, it has to happen in a very short time period. And so those, if you can't get it done or something goes wrong and you're in a deal and it doesn't Pan out. Now you have a broken 1031 exchange, and you're, we'd rather take a less uh, project 
then have to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. Now, guess how we market our properties? We market them to potentially broken 1031 exchanges because we know they'll overpay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so my last property, I said, what a forecast. Oh, a lot of questions are coming into my, into my head. And, and one, I, um, you know, the cap rate, I guess, in layman's terms is, is what the, um, your yield or your return would be if you paid cash for the property, if you weren't leveraged and you weren't yep. borrowing any money. So that's kind of what the return on the, uh, I guess, in a stripped down layman's sense, a cap rate is kind of, kind of an expected return on investment of yep. a particular property. And yeah, it is like, why would you want to buy it at a high cap rate? Because like you said, the money, you can you buy high and sell low that one time, right? <laughs> Investors buy high and sell low. It actually turns out to make them millions of dollars. Like quite so, a bit of money, yeah. You could buy at a nine cap and sell at a five cap. I mean, just you could do nothing but just do that because markets change. You know, right now we're projecting like in our, in our performance, we're buying at a seven cap and we're exiting at a seven and a half cap. Worse. Why? Because we think something's going to happen. We don't know what it is. Yeah. But we we're just planning on it's not going to be great. Now, but even with that said, our business plan internally is to sell at a five. Right. Right. But when we come to a paper, we model something, we're going to model uh, exiting at a worst cap rate. I like because, you are, you're stress testing it before you even get into it. Absolutely. And it has to be done that way. So that like when you're raising millions of dollars of people's money, real money, and these are my main street types beeps. I don't ever want to be wrong, right? Yeah. And so how I protect myself in doing that is I am, and I mean, I am ultra conservative in what we think we can do. And you have to do it that way. You set the floor, not the ceiling. Worst case, this property only does this. Is it a deal? And we got to make it qualify on those metrics. Mm -hmm. And then if it qualifies on those metrics, if we do anything better, great for us, we look like heroes. Right. Yeah. But the reason for that is Corey Peterson has to be able to sleep like a baby. At night, I cannot be like, where is what's going on? Right. You can't, man. Why? Because I've been there before. Listen, right. I mean, I've had to pay for this lesson. And so I chose to never have it again. So I actually, you know, my second deal that I ever bought, I told you my first one was great. Yeah. My second one was not so great. Mm -hmm. Okay. I made some mistakes. And so I learned from those. And, and because of that, I'm super conservative. You know, I was able to give all my investors back. But for two years, I'm telling you, I had sleepless nights, sleepless nights. Yeah. And no. so, I mean, you're talking to a guy who, um, you know, got his, his truck repossessed when his wife was five months pregnant. That, that was me, you know? Yeah. And yeah, you, you learn quick. <laughs> if someone says they've not lost money on a deal ever in their lives, they're effing lying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. There, there's one thing I love about the real estate game, though, is if Wall Street loses my money, they still get bonuses. <laughs> right. right. Hey, listen, when the stock market went to half and got people got 401ks turned to 201ks. Yes. It's the market. That was their excuse. It's yeah. the market. I'm like, you know, look, I, I would rather take that, you know, my dad used to always tell me, my dad has a master's degree, but he would always bet, not an MBA, but he'd always badmouth, uh, not badmouth, but. He had a lot of frustration with people who had with master's degrees and um, who would come in and he's like, and my dad was in the oil field and he said, give me an old guy missing a finger who's been doing it his whole life. I'll take him any day of the week over some kid out of college. And my dad's like, and I was that kid coming out of college. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> 
and I had a mistake when I was in the oil field and uh, I got three line managers calling me asking me what happened and I was I screwed up. I made a mistake. You know, this is what happened and they and I guess they were so used to people making excuses. They were like, "Well, don't let it happen again." And I kept my job. And I'm like, "How do I still have a job?" You know, <laughs> I just lost somebody half a million dollars in downhole tools. Anyway, you learn from there's, those things. There's a lot of lessons. Sometimes the it's the things that go wrong. You know, life life is experience is the sum of all your success and your failures. Yep. Right? Yep. And so uh, if you're not failing, you're probably not doing it right. You know, you learn a lot from failure as well. Oh, yeah. yeah t- and I've always been willing to fail a million times. Yeah, no, that, that's it. Get, pick yourself up and, and keep going. It, it doesn't feel good. You know, I mean, just, just the other day, I mean, uh, uh, you know, had, had a, a, a deal kind of fall together. And I'm like, man, I just you know, kind of took it personal for a second, you know, and it's like, okay. And, and like, as you see, I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. All apologies accepted. But I have a 24-hour rule. After they lose horribly, I have 24 hours to wallow, to get mad, to scream. 24 hours after that kickoff, it's over. It's done. And same thing. Pick yourself up and move on. Because it's really on the side of the road. You know, it's hard. You know, it's hard to do to get up and keep going. And that's that's what makes people successful. So it's, it absolutely is, bro. I wanted uh, to get back. You, t- you said you take both accredited and, and non-accredited. And, uh, you know, in the single family world, we don't deal with a whole lot of uh, accredited folks. So tell us how uh, how you're able to work both ends of that. So what we don't do is we don't advertise. We don't solicit. So we have a whole process. We have to get to know you on a substantial level before we would offer you to look at any of our deals. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have a process, you know, when I'm on podcast, this is an educational forum. I'm talking about what I do, but when people were to say, Hey, listen, Corey, I've got a couple hundred thousand dollars. Hey, uh, let's, let's go to where I'm like, Whoa, you got to fill out an accredited investor form with me. We have a process. I need to get to know you, not just know who Keith is, but I need to know you financially, Keith. I need you to fill out a form and we need to have a discussion about your money and what you're, you know, if you're not accredited, I need to understand your sophistication and whether you're a good fit for my deal or not. Because if, if your last money is 50,000, I'm not taking it. You know what I'm saying? Don't blame you. And so it really is, um, you basically can't market or do any marketing for investors it really becomes through education and through people that you know and referrals. So, I mean, we get referred to a lot of people. Oh my gosh. So once you start doing a good job for people, they let other people know. I was about to say success leaves clues and they'll talk about it and they'll say, yeah. Hey, this guy's doing this, this guy's doing that. Yeah. yeah. And you, yeah. And pretty soon you don't have to, uh, I, I know that I used to know this, but, uh, is that the, is that the reg B where uh, you can take non-accredited? If, 506 if B. B. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it is, it is in reg D that we under operate under. So it's 506 B. Yeah. In the 506 B. So, cause that's one thing that when I notice that people say, I'm going to go invest in, I'm going to put my money in apartments from a lot of people do it wrong too, man. I see people, uh, I got a new deal. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't. Yeah. I can't do it that way. Yeah. No, you gotta, you gotta be able to establish a personal relationship and knowledge of the person and, you know, yep. and no, like you said, no soliciting, no advertising, no marketing. I actually had a guy, I was on a Sirius XM radio show. And so somehow he, I mean, he had to do some work to find, because I don't just have my email out there, but it's out there somewhere. He's got to do a little work to find it. Mm-hmm. So he emails me, he gets into it. He's like, hey, heard you on this. I know Jennifer, uh, the host of that. I have $400,000. You know, can you got some deals? 
well, I don't know who this guy is. He could be an SEC regulator for all I know. Say, yeah. And so I, I just don't take the risk. I don't ever want to like screw that up. So I'm like, hey, listen, I would love to talk to you. But before we start, you got to fill out my credit investor form. And then I, we need to have some discussions over that. I need to understand who you are and what your experience level is. And then after that, we can talk about, you know, potential deals that we have. Yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah. just the way to do it. Yeah, no, I was, absolutely. And it's, um, like I said, it's, it's just adding another zero, but there is a little bit more, a little, you know, a little more minutia, a little more variables. It's a little bit of more work, but when you're syndicating correctly, I mean, the money's in the money, right? So the one thing about like, and I'm not sure if your podcast is specifically on just, hey, here's how to lend your own money. But when you can learn to aggregate capital, right? Meaning you can go find, like say if you're a private money lender and just let's say this is for the single family business. But you can go get money at 6% and lend it out at 10. Well, you could be a syndicator. You could go out and find capital, right? Mm -hmm. And do it through a PPM or a, a pool or create a fund and get money that you can go lend out for your business and make money. It doesn't just have to be your money. Right. And that's a good question because for the start, you know, for the last year and a half, it, this is only about true private money, uh, self-directed IRA stuff, 401ks. It's your own money. So as, as a private lender, if it's my money, there is no SEC regulation prohibiting me Correct. from going out and saying, hey, I loan money. I yeah. loan single family. I loan money to this. I can do that all I want. But one of the things I am uh, hoping to get into, like I said, you know, this is the, by the way, I do love the rinse do hat. That is just, I, I love that. But yeah. Reason, when you get off the show, give me your uh, address. I'll send you one. Oh, good, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I'll send you I'll, a shirt too. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll wear it with pride. But um. Ultimately, some of the listeners and the people that have reached out to me, they want to become a hard money lender. They want to create a fund. You know, they want to pull and take other people's money and, and, and go do that, which I don't have any issue talking about. But since I don't do it myself, I don't promote it, but I'm happy to have other people. Do who what do you know. Yeah, yeah do exactly. What you know, right? I stick to what I know. You know, and the whole idea behind this podcast is it's, it's just going to be a reflection of kind of where I'm at with my investing career. So, you know, I've kind of pigeonholed myself into this private lending thing, which is, uh, isn't bad, you know? No, it's great, man. Listen, it's yeah. great. I'm like, am I making a half a million dollars a year? No, but I'm not flipping houses. I'm not dealing with sellers. I'm, you know, I'm cutting checks. I'm looking over it. I'm doing my, my underwriting. I'm doing my due diligence and I'm saying yes or no. And um, anyway, that's what, it, yeah, it, that's. No, I think that's a great, it's a great model, man. Like, listen, I, I, I love what you're doing. And I think there's lots of ways to play Monopoly, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, lending is a key aspect of monopoly, man. You got to get, you got to be able to buy stuff. And, and there's people that are always looking to purchase. And if you can help fund them, get notes and need of trust, or if, you know, take private lending, if you want a different way, you know, that's, that's the syndication. That's what I do. Yeah. Or you can learn to raise capital and lend it even more of it out and, and you know, making an aggregate of that money. Right. So there's yeah. lots of ways. There's so many ways to make money in real estate. But they all can lead to the life that you want, which I call sunsets and palm trees. Yeah. Because the goal is not to be busy, is to be is the richest man in Babylon. Is when your money's working for you and you're not working. Yeah. But it's still your cup gets replenished every month. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. That's the trick. And that's what and that's what I love about this. And like you said, but back to limiting beliefs. And I, before um, I know we're, we're gonna we're starting to run long, but I, I definitely want you to mention you have your own podcast as well. Yeah, multifamily legacy podcast. Find me on iTunes, baby. We teach it from nuts to bolts, man. 
Uh, and you, you have a book which subtitle I absolutely love. Um, yeah, copy or that's the why, why the rich get richer. Yeah, the secret to cash performance. That's it. Yeah, I, that's so. Uh, and why? The, yeah, the title and the subtitle. Why the rich get richer. Yeah, that's that's it, man. You know, we're fixing um, a, a launch a new book coming out. Not ready, but it's going to be called. It's called Copy Your Way to Success. Oh, okay. Um, and so uh, from uh, it goes from uh, I can't. Well, we haven't figured out the subtitle on that one yet, but it's it, we're close. So that one. Uh, took a long time to write i wrote it really is my journey i'm excited to have that one come out but it's not ready yet so i just wanted to tease it not well, not well i tell you what you can go to the, the show notes page here at privatelinderpodcast.com and you'll get all of uh, Corey's links information and speaking of which let's go ahead uh how do people get a hold of you if they want to uh, uh yeah so the the easiest way is just to go to kahuna wealth builders so kahuna wealth is uh, the website where we teach and uh, really all the information. There's a contact me button somewhere in that webpage. Probably find my, uh, and, and you send an email, we can we respond. Got a whole team set up for that. And um, yeah, that and the podcast is really the best way to, to figure out the multifamily world. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. All righty. Well, Corey, thank you so much, man. I've had a blast doing this and uh, really appreciate you coming on and talking about syndications and apartments. And um, you, you shared your story about your kid. I, I, I'm right there with you. It's, uh, I came out of the oil field because my, my, my daughter thought a cell phone was daddy. Yeah. And it, Amen to that, man. There's no, there's no bigger value than being a full-time dad. And listen, sometimes we fail, but it's only sometimes, you know, you screw up for a season, but you can fix it. And, yeah. and that's what I did. And I fixed it. And I'm really proud of that. And uh, listen, man, thanks again for having me on your podcast. Absolutely, man. Thanks, David. Take care. All right, buddy. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank Corey for coming on the show today and giving us his take on multifamily investing. For more information about Corey and Kahuna Investments, please go to the show notes page at privatelenderpodcast.com, episode 83. Look here, y'all. <laughs> That's my best Paula Dean. Y'all. This podcast is free to listen to, but I do ask that you pay a very small price with your time, and that is to leave a rating review over at iTunes. Or whatever platform you listen to this podcast on, but especially iTunes, because they are the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Even though Google's got its own podcast thing coming out, iTunes is still the, well, the 400-pound, 800-pound gorilla in the room. So if you could please go over to iTunes, leave me a rating review. They just made it easier for you to do it. Just go to Private Linda Podcast, scroll down, and if you think I get zero stars, seriously, please Give it to me. If it's one star, two star. I just want an honest review because the more reviews will put this podcast into the ears of more and more listeners. So that is the price I ask uh, that you pay for listening. Also, if you'd like to connect with me, and actually I would actually <laughs> short of beg you, please do connect with me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Bigger Pockets. All the links to these channels can be found at privatelanderpodcast.com. So I want to thank you for listening. I do appreciate your time and your consideration. And please keep reaching out to me. I, do, I really do appreciate all the feedback I receive, whether it be on social media or you can always just send me an email, keith at privatelenderpodcast.com. And I love the words of positive reinforcement and encouragement, and, but I would also like some negative words. I'd like to know where, how I can make this thing better. How, how can I craft this 
to reach the most people and to build this tribe of lenders so that we can disrupt the banking system. We can disrupt everything. The power is in the people. And I'm not talking about revolution, but look, we have more power. We have more ability. We have more opportunity than we ever have in the history of humankind. We are coming up on a world of flux and I'm excited about that. It's, I think it's a good thing. I think we can all benefit from it. We just need to have the right set of eyes looking at it. And before I forget, please go to privatelenderpodcast.com slash guide to get your free private lenders loan guide and checklist. Put this together, a little checklist for all the things you need to do your due diligence on a loan. And then also three sections of pros or pros. Okay, look, all right, that's a little that's a little generous. I'm kind of patting myself on the back there. But I try to at least let you, you know the mindset that I have as I go through uh, kind of the three-step process of, you know, the person, their process and the property. So, you know, look at the person. Is this somebody who's going to cut their throat to make me whole? If not, I don't need to lend to them. Ask me how I know. I've screwed up along the way, being a little brash. So can this person pay me back? Are they the type of person that will pay me back? If they are, okay, great. Then what are they doing? Are they a landlord? Are they a flipper? What uh, do they do under finance? What, you know, what is their particular niche of real estate and are they sticking to it? You know, is this a landlord who wants to start flipping houses? Go to hard money. Sorry. Go gamble with somebody else's cash, not mine. I want to loan to people who stay in their own lane. And then finally, let's take a look at the property. Is this a property that I want to own? If worse comes to worse and this borrower doesn't pay me and I, I foreclose and I take this property over, do I want it as an investment property? That doesn't necessarily, I mean, you have a whole range of options here. Do you want to be a landlord? Maybe you put that into your portfolio or maybe you complete the flip, right? Because if you're smart and you don't give all the money up front and you only pay on the draw system, once the work is completed, and approved by an acceptable inspector. You play those cards right, and somebody defaults, but you haven't given up all the money, then you can step in and pretty much be made whole. And sometimes I know people who've profited even better than the original loan terms because of a foreclosure, but they were smart and they didn't give all the money up front. They didn't expose themselves. And that's the name of the game. So that's going to do it for today. And besides good health and self-awareness, I wish every one of you safe and prosperous private lending. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.